0: This is Jacob Brotz with J.O.B. Morelia.
1: This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics, and you're listening to... The Herpeticulture Podcast. Enjoy. If anybody wasn't aware, this is episode 84 of the Herpeticulture Podcast. I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast
0: Exotics. I'm Jacob Brotz with J.O.B. Morelia. Do I sound weird? No.
1: I feel like I sound off.
0: No, you sound fine to me.
1: Uh. Wee 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 I don't know that I like this Mine doesn't sound so strange. So yeah, this episode It's different I bought I got an 18 pack of those online For $18 And and I'm really not that big of a fan of them Really? They're alright I don't mind it I thought they were going to be bigger like yeah, I they're was, pretty small It's a Panatella And I it's thought it was Said it was a Lancero Which is like Slightly larger than that Like ring gauge About the same yeah. length And I got them And I was like What's
0: yeah. the point? It tastes isn't bad But yeah It's like It's, like, it's kind of weird to smoke I feel yeah. like I'm smoking Like a big it's like cigarette It's extra long cigarette Yeah Yeah, that size is a but, little, little weird, A little weird Yeah, bizarre Yeah, it is off But I would smoke that In a regular cigar mm-hmm. It's not bad It's a good size Yeah
1: Dude, those things are gonna Drive me batty Yeah. But it's either that or we die in here from heat. So, unfortunately, people are just going to have to deal with the sounds of nature in the background. Hopefully, it will rain and those things will stop. Yeah, but then we have the sound of rain. but But people
0: would rather listen to the sound of rain than that
1: screeching which we don't even pay attention I mean, to here anymore. You know, like you maybe,
0: yeah, do. I mean, I don't even hear. I didn't even realize it was happening until you said something. But I mean, like maybe it'll add like a nice uh, you know, like a, a little background noise. You know, we're in nature. People will think they're outside when they're listening to THP. Right.
1: It's you know. It's a calming yeah, sensation. Um, let me. So, as I said before, it's episode 84 which is crazy, man.
0: Yeah, that's a lot. I don't know. You've you said that today, and I was like,
1: wow, that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, we are joined. This is going to be a very good episode. I'm very excited about yes. this episode because we're having Nathaniel Frank from M. Toxin's Venom Lab. Um, Pia, actually, was the one who helped make this happen because she's like, oh, you guys yeah. should get Nathaniel on. I was like, yeah, totally. And so I messaged him, and he's like, yeah, man. He's like, I'm a big fan. You know, I listen to the show. I like the show. Wow. I was like, what? So, we're going to talk about venom production. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. I have an outline, but I never sent it to you because I forgot. No, you did not <clears throat> send it's fine. that to me. Because, well, we ended up talking about some other stuff we want to talk about. So, yeah. um, without, I guess, I mean, there's really nothing for us to cover ahead of time. Um, I got corn snakes together. I got chondros back together. Baird's eggs still incubating. think i'm i have two that are not looking so hot and i think i have one that's kind of on the way out so i might end up with only two but when those hatch next month i'll pair her again probably so we'll strike for lightning in the same place again yeah uh, other than that i have
0: nothing new yeah i don't really have anything new i got babies eating and shedding starting to color up and looking real nice they're already starting to lose a little bit of the red so yeah i mean that's about it for me
1: this, this condo of mine from David Brahms that's been changing, if anyone's oh, been following me on Instagram, oh it's been changing God. every day for the last three days. So I gonna wild, I'm going to do a video probably tomorrow morning before I go to work talking about just color. Like, no one's really gone in depth about color changing green trees. Yeah. It's sort of explaining, like, some of them are going to change really fast. Like, this one, you know, in a matter of, like, a week. It's going to be a completely different looking thing. Yeah. Snake. Then you have other ones that are going to take years. Some that are going to, you know, they'll slowly change and then all of a sudden they'll hit a point and they'll just be like, boom, I'm green. Yeah. You know, so... Do don't don't
0: beox take a bit longer to go through that? Yeah, and, I mean,
1: some people think that they never fully stop changing. Like, some people think they're always going to be...
0: I could see that. I mean, I'm
1: sure geriatric snakes are probably do hit a level where they're not changing anymore, but, <clears throat> yeah, beox are notorious for taking forever. Um, but, I mean, it depends. Like I said, the two that I got from Luke, like, one of them mm-hmm. changed the beginning of this year, mm-hmm. and then I had another one that was yellow up until... Like two or three months ago, and they're the same from the same clutch, same age. One took two years to actually change, the other one took, you know, a year, year and a half. So it's
0: very interesting.
1: Uh, but we will call Nathaniel right now.
0: The fact Get that he's th- from Wisconsin just makes it so much better.
1: Oh, I'm sure he he may be a uh I must a see if a green pizza. green gay fan.
0: I must I it. Hello. Hello.
2: How are you guys doing?
0: What's going on? Doing great, man. How are you? Oh,
2: good, good. You know, just closed up the zoo, and uh, now it's time to just relax a little bit. Huh? What? So
1: I've, been talking to, I've been talking to Jake.
3: Um,
1: yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it's, that's awesome. it's got a pretty busy schedule now, I'm sure. Uh, things are a little more hectic now um get
2: my outline together (laughs) yeah just a little bit just a little bit a little bit crazier
1: how's it been since the opening
2: um it's been really consistent um but there's a lot of of fear with covid you know so oh yeah so even though we have tons of staff that are going around and um sanitizing and we're you know, we're encouraging social distancing and we're encouraging face masks. And people are still absolutely terrified. So but interestingly enough, since we've opened, like from opening day until now, over 90 percent of the people attending are elderly because <laughs> <So, laughs> people people are afraid to bring their kids out. And and yeah. I think the the elderly are just like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to go. Right. So, Yeah. yeah. So it's been interesting in that regard, but more and more kids are starting to come now.
1: That's awesome.
3: Nice.
1: It's uh, I've seen pictures, I've watched a few videos. It looks really awesome.
2: Yeah. Like oh, thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, we we really strive to um, to make it more like a, a living museum than you know than like a reptile house. Not that there's anything wrong with like a you know a themed reptile house, but it's just you know because we're a you know, a World Health Organization uh, standards-abiding laboratory, mm-hmm. you know, we wanted our Serpentarium to reflect that same kind of aesthetic. So right. that's why it's 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 very laboratory, museum-y, you know, in that regard.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's really interesting because it's like the building itself is, if looking at it from the outside, it's not what you would picture – like a venom lab being.
2: Oh no, not at all. It's 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 an old um so well, this will be really boring, but I'm like a, a I love local history. So, but it was built in 1946 as as a Kroger. And wow, then, that's actually pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh and actually this is no joke like uh like the original boiler is still down there in the basement which was forged in 1945 and all the big like Frank style, Frankenstein style like throw switches are still down there, and it's like it's it's like <laughs> labeled meat meat cooler, and like all this Jeez. stuff. And the basement the basement was uh, the slaughterhouse, so they would they would like you know slaughter pigs and, and cattle and everything down in the basement and then there's a huge freight elevator that they'd move the meats upstairs into the refrigeration coolers for the grocery store and in like the 60s it became an appliance store and it had been an appliance store like a really famous like fox valley of northeastern wisconsin staple business um all the way up until we bought it that's so that's so cool man it is not haunted. If it was haunted, it would be haunted with the ghosts of pigs.
1: The ghosts and of, cat- of Yeah.
2: Butchers. Sometimes past. late at night, we hear mooing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, man. Well, Jake is a fellow Wisconsinite. Oh, yeah. Is that the right term, Wisconsinite? Yeah, Wisconsin? actually. Yeah, it's we're,
2: we're out of.
0: Uh, I was born in Manitowoc.
2: Oh, you're a, Oh, you're southern. You're almost Illinois. That doesn't count. Ah,
0: uh, I got family in New Holstein, Nina,
2: and Valders. The Pinta, Santa Maria. Santa Maria. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean Nina's Nina's not far. It's a, it's a 12-minute trek from us. So, yeah. Oh, wow.
0: There you go.
1: You know what's funny yeah. is I hear Oshkosh and the first thing I think of is like 90s fashion. Oshkosh. I completely forget that it's a legitimate place. Yeah. Yeah, Oshkosh. Yeah, a lot of awesome, people yeah.
2: don't believe it like our 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 customers (laughs) our customers which are primarily international they they just laugh they're like like the children's clothing (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. (laughs) it's it's that's where this all started yeah so yeah it's really it's funny it's a small little community but the thing that's really cool and I I don't know if you guys are going to want to talk about it but like this community is so supportive of education that there was zero opposition. So like, That's awesome. if you look at, if you look at my friends, Venom labs, like, like Carl Barden in, in Deland, Florida, yeah. and George Van Horn, uh, in St. Cloud and, and whatnot, they were kind of pushed more so Carl than like, than George and stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause of the time when George and Jack built that place, but, um, like pushed out of town, like we don't want it. And, Toxins is in the dead heart of downtown oshkosh so like next to me is a yoga studio and then a, a barber shop like our buildings are all connected and um and we've just been embraced by everyone so that's so cool we've had yeah. we've had no problems they're really really supportive
0: i mean people from wisconsin are like some of the nicest in the world so Oh, it's it's understandable. I mean, the people there are just awesome. So
2: until you've you've like visited up here and and um, kind of experienced what it's like, it's a very different way of living. And, you know, like all those jokes about like we just got Nirvana up here are true. But, um, (laughs) you know, like, uh, you know, it just things move at a different pace and people are just very, very different. Um, you know, so there's almost like a naivete living up here to be quite honest.
1: Yeah. We hear that a lot down here in South Carolina, or at least I do. Cause I see a lot of tourists at work. And so mm-hmm. every, like, I get people from like New York and stuff and they're they're like, man, everyone's so nice down here. Like you say hi to somebody and they say hi back. And I'm like, where do you come from (laughs) i'm that's that's a completely different world to me like if i i'm sure if i went to jersey or new york and started walking around and was like hey what's up you'll be like what yeah people
2: people yeah it's just different and like little things i don't know it's little niceties that you just I, i think all of us learn you know especially being in smaller communities like like if I if I travel to like New York City, which I had to do extensively um, for one project, mm-hmm. um, you know, you'd hold a door for someone and they look at you like you have three heads, <laughs> or you like you're gonna me? steal. <laughs> yeah, are you gonna are you gonna steal my purse? Nope, just uh, holding the door. Yep. So, <laughs> so yeah, so yeah just, it's I hear funny that way. So like, They're
1: like everyone's so nice around here. I'm like, I, I thought that was kind of a, like yeah. a like a requirement of yeah. being a decent human being but yeah okay. man like when, Appar- when,
2: apparently not yeah apparently when, not. when i was
0: in college i called um i called this lady ma'am and uh she got she got she got real offended because she was from new york and apparently if you said ma'am that meant you were old
2: yeah it uh, yeah exactly so it's like well yeah. i'm sorry that's
0: respect around here you
2: with a her purse <laughs> yeah i mean i mean we named like uh we named the, the serpentarium after, after Jack Fasene, and I still call him Mr. Fasene.
3: <laughs> just,
2: <laughs> he's, he and his wife are, are essentially family and it's still Mr. And Mrs. Fasene because that's, they're your elders and that's how you should speak to elders. So yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's just different. Well, I was telling
1: I you in my messages back and forth, like that episode we did with him is easily my favorite we've done so far. Um, and it's he's just one of those guys, man. Like I, I could have kept on going. Like I still, wanted, I wanted to yeah. talk to him about the King Cobra Conservancy. Like I was, well,
2: yeah. And and that's there's a whole, I mean,
1: so much stuff to unpack with him. That there's, is, yeah. there's
2: the man's a legend, and he's one of the most humble human beings that you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm. Um, he's done more for herpetology and private keeping than he's such an advocate of the private sector for venomous. And it's funny because you'll hear these people ranting you know like in Florida ranting that no one's speaking up for them well Bill Haas protege is out right, there
3: right. you know
2: uh very much in the front line um putting his time and effort into helping your licensing program Florida so
3: mm-hmm. you
2: know and people are like who the hell is Jack Facene and um you know that he's just a low key private man and and he doesn't you know he he just Keeps to himself right. and, and tries to help how he can. So, um, you know, it's... Well, he's
1: he's definitely the guy you want to go to bat for you instead of one of the YouTube oh, yeah. personalities. You know, absolutely. know. Yeah. any a one man, of them. <laughs>
2: yeah. A man with a 50-plus career working with venomous right. animals? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And that's what we were talking about, too, is, like, I, I wish people sort of, not necessarily idolized, but, like, looked up to him more than they did the YouTubers that are free handling yeah. and it's all about them. And it's just, you know, so guys well, like, like
2: Jack, like, it's like,
1: they're the foundation for so much of this stuff. And
2: well, Jack and, and like, uh, you know, and a lot, a lot of these great venomous people are very unassuming. Like, like one of my, my absolute closest friends is captain Jeffrey fob from Miami Dade venom one. And there's a person who's kept venomous reptiles in large quantities. Mm-hmm. Um, through the entirety of his life um, is a, a textbook and and not just in venomous herpetology, the, the man was breeding endangered turtles. And I mean, everything, just a textbook of knowledge of herpetology. And, uh, and everyone looks at him as, as, you know, an anti-venom guy. Well, he has experiences that, especially in handling, like to me, I, I don't, like the word idol but he's he he was one of my big influences to i want to go as long as i can in my professional career without an accident now as a venom extractor it's different and accidents happen Mm -hmm. but um when i'm training interns you know i'm like you know if you are a responsible keeper and you are using your tools there is no excuse to be envenomated ever ever Mm -hmm. ever 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 um, as a venom extractor, it's not like it gives us a, uh, you know, a pass that it's okay to be bitten. Cause anytime you're bitten, you screwed up and it's on you. It's not on that snake. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but if you're, it doesn't matter if you're keeping Bushmasters, King Cobras, Monocle Cobras, that animal should never have the ability to get to you, um, you know, if you're planning out your moves and you're using the appropriate tools, you know, to me, you know, the best pilots are the ones that never crashed yeah. <laughs> type, <laughs> of, type of thing. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's nothing cool about a close call and there's nothing cool about a bite.
1: No, that's what I hear from a lot of people They're You know, they're, they're, nothing makes you feel dumber than getting bit. No, it wasn't.
0: It's not cool.
2: I I mean, my my first envenomation um, was from a stiletto snake. And um, it was I was doing at the time, it was like a hush, hush, top secret study with Dr. Brian Fry. Mm -hmm. And we were doing all different types of stiletto snakes. And it was for the purpose we got. At the time, we got every single antivenom that was offered for Africa and we went in and I was extracting all the venom from them and then we were testing their efficacy against that venom. So we had already tested a ton of it and we knew that no anti-venom was gonna touch it and I pushed a fang into my middle finger of my right hand and you have this second where you look down and you see that single drop of blood and you go, Oh, crap.
1: It's happening. And, yeah. and
2: and and then you sit there and you go, did I get any venom? Did I get any venom? Did I get any venom? And then the burning starts, and then the swelling, and then the next thing you know, you're in ICU. Um, and, and I think the scariest thing about snake bite, for anyone, whether you're a venom extractor or you're just a person who hikes and gets bitten, is you're a living science experiment. Because... Yeah. <laughs> Every human body reacts to venom differently, every human body. And so, you know, you don't know how much the snake gave you. Um, you don't know in the cases where you can get antivenom, if you're going to have um, an allergic reaction to uh, to that serum, you, you don't know what's going to happen. And so what we try to teach, like at the Serpentarium, when people ask about snake bite is we could both be bitten, you know, by the same snake uh, let's say a copperhead, mm-hmm. um, you could walk away from it perfectly fine with no long-term damage, not any medical care needed. Um, it could crash my in my kidneys and take part of my finger off. So it it's just you don't know what's going to happen, and and that's probably the most terrifying part. But it is ironic to get bitten extracting venom for a study when you know nothing's going to be able to treat you. (laughs) That was uh, that was not fun.
1: Yeah, I mean that's. I think we were we were talking about that just last week. You know, Mike Clarkson and his stiletto bite forever ago and well, Mike Clarkson. How painful
2: it was, and he he jokingly. I was fortunate enough to walk away with no long-term damage. Um, Mike was like when I got bitten and once Mike knew I was okay, that's when he said, thank God I'm not the only stiletto snake bite guy anymore (laughs) because pictures of Mike's thumb. I mean, anytime anyone talks about a stiletto snake, it's pictures of Mike's thumb rotting off. And, you know, and that was, that was a, a freak situation that happened, you know, that caused that envenomation. Mm -hmm. I mean, You know, like anything, it could have been prevented. But it's one of those situations where it's, you know, in the moment you believe you're making the right moves and it got him. And, you know, I feel terrible for him because having Mm -hmm. gone through it myself, oh, 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 that is one of the most painful experiences of my life. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy.
1: Yeah, I remember him talking about it and he's just, it was just indescribable. He said it was just... I think he was getting like um, like wooden spatulas to like bite down on because of the pain and he literally bit through like two three or four of them. So
2: like So I didn't have it that bad, but are you guys familiar with what Delauded is? The yeah. the pain okay, so it's like extreme, extreme, extreme. Um they had to put a line into my carotid artery and pump Delauded directly to my heart. <laughs> just wow. Just to... <laughs> So, and, and it, again, it's, I'm not proud of it. It is an absolute embarrassment, but you know um, I'm just fortunate. I, I got through it and, you know, and was okay, Mm -hmm. but um, you know, they happen. And and if you're going to extract venom, you have to know that you're eventually going to make mistakes. You have to accept that you are going to be bitten. You don't want to. um, And you always have to keep your guard up, but you know, it's going to happen no one in venom extraction that's done the number of extractions that the you know the core group of us have has not been bitten
0: yeah and i mean i feel like that's with any job anywhere like you're never going to do it 100 percent right all the time you know and venom extracting i assume would be no different from that you know that's
2: Yeah, I mean, from a danger perspective, if you look at the number of extractions like that, that I'll do in a given day, which is 25 to 75 per day, um, if you and that's Wednesday through Sunday, Mm -hmm. if if you look at that number of extractions, you know, um, multiply it by, you know, the months and the years and everything, you know, like, it's no more dangerous than driving a car. Right. Really, right? You know, I mean, I mean, it it really isn't. You know, you have about the same probability of being injured. Mm-hmm. It just seems so dangerous because you're grabbing a cobra. But yeah. I mean, in reality, if you're in clear mind, if you're, you know, you're being safe and you're doing it right, you know, that's why accidents don't happen every day.
1: I mean, it's with the stilettos. I mean, those are those are pretty well known for being, you know, virtually unpinnable. How do you go about venom extracting from those?
2: So, so I had a method at the time where I would put the snake. They have probably, um, and there's no eloquent way to put this. Like, they probably have the stupidest defensive, like threat display <laughs> of any snake on the planet. So, what they do is the ones I was working with were atractaspis irregularis,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, which are long glanded. Uh, stiletto snakes and what they do is they push their nose to the ground and arch the top of their body so their venom glands are exposed
3: mm-hmm.
2: down the first, essentially the first third of their body and they peck like a chicken at the ground I, it <laughs> until you've seen it you can't believe it So, <clears throat> and the whole time they're pecking their fangs are out and um, and so what I would do is I had modified a tube Um, uh, cut it down and I would get the snake tubed um, and then I would let its head extend through the tube and then I had uh, the collection vessel um, with the membrane over the top and I would have the snake naturally swing its head side to side and I'd do a fang at a time. Mm -hmm. So I'd let it violently thrash one fang into the membrane and then move to the other side and then you you Mm -hmm. simply take the snake in the tube back to the rack and you let it crawl out of the tube, and, and you're pretty hands-off. Um, you know, my mistake was having my hand too close when it was pecking like a chicken, and um, and it just nicked me. I mean, just nicked me. Um, and so, Yeah. <laughs> that was so uh frustrating so do they have oh. more of,
0: do they what what type of venom do they have i'm not i'm not very familiar with the with so the like they make. have
2: their it's full of metalloproteinases right it just it's digestive it just deteriorates and melts bone Jesus. and it, it has a toxin in it called seraphitoxin um and they're pretty much the only uh yeah it's like completely i think they're novel the only them, isn't it? yeah it's it's yeah. novel to that Basically, that family. Yeah. Wow. And it's so, you know, what we were proving back then was nothing could neutralize it. Now, um, one of our uh, anti venom clients um, uh, has incorporated that venom into their mixture. So there's actually now an African polyvalent anti venom that covers against stiletto snake bites.
1: Because they're pretty common. Like, it's a pretty common occurrence that people are getting bit by those. They are
2: babies. everywhere. Yeah. They're very, I mean, they're very
1: unassuming looking. If you've ever seen one, you'd, you'd look at it and be like, there's no way that thing is that you know dangerous.
0: It looks like a big worm snake. Kind of. Like it's, that, like what we have here, little, little um, tiny ones.
2: Well, they, you know, one way that a lot of bites happen is um, when the people are importing from Africa, they'll get like African house snakes and they look identical oh, and the exporter yeah. will be grabbing uh, them and throwing all the house snakes in a bag and then get stabbed by a fang. Jeez. You know that. I mean, that happens a lot. Damn, I yeah. Would they,
1: they, I mean, there are. It's. I just. I remember hearing that it's. It's pretty common that bites happen with those where they're near absolutely,
2: to. absolutely.
1: You know, people walking barefoot all the time, and they're. You know, they're like nest raiders, so you see them. You know, they're kind of. Fossil oriole, I guess, is probably mm-hmm. a fair. Yeah, fair yeah. Statement. I
2: mean, their their habits are very similar to coral snakes. Like, yeah. In you know, um, and and that's I think what really draws me to them. But, um, you know, but any anyways, yeah. They're they're an interesting animal to work with for sure. Um, and they have the next to a crate, uh, the worst musk you will ever smell. <laughs> Hands down, they musk it is disgusting. So yeah, you should put that on your on your like uh things to do before you die is get musked down by a stiletto snake. I will it's...
0: add that to my bucket list. If it's worse than a <laughs> copperhead, I'm not I don't
2: know. I'm not Oh I'm my bored. gosh. It okay, I'm not so really smell like feet. So,
0: That's pretty nasty. Copper pretty nasty.
2: copperhead and, and Cottonmouth musk and even even like the crotalids, you know, like your Hortus and your Adamantius, those smell bad stiletto snake will make you gag and <laughs> crates will make you vomit <laughs> that's, oh that's pretty that's how bad it is Jeez. I, know,
1: I always thought that amazon Tribos had it really bad because they had like that weird burnt plastic burnt yeah rubber they
0: snake. were yeah that was pretty bad but i'm not gonna lie man that copperhead, that copperhead i'll never understand
2: on feet. a side note the people that say like that live where copperheads are native. They're like, oh, if you smell cucumbers, there's a cut. Co- what?
3: Yeah, I, I, I I'll never
2: I understand, understand that. that at all. No, I, no, I smell snake crap. Uh, to me, they, <laughs> they smell, smell like do
1: straight do. feet to me.
0: Yeah, I
2: mean. Yeah, it's disgusting.
0: I've been walking around in the woods and like to me like, I smell like musk. And like kind of looked around, but, you know, never, I've never smelled cucumbers. It's.
2: Actually, probably oh, no. the worst, the worst, one of the worst things, like, this is embarrassing, but about snake musk that I've ever had experienced, aside from it shooting into my mouth, oh. there was a, there was a, uh, there was a, I was doing a show, um we, we have a, uh, it's the state of Wisconsin's largest pet expo, and they. Um, before we had a public facility, we would go down there and do live venom extraction. And it was like all blocked off. And we'd do it in front of like between 600 and 1200 people at a time. Um, And we would do like scheduled shows throughout the day. And um, I would pin the snake, grab it. And then with about three feet of distance, stand uh, and walk around the group um, to let them kind of see the snake in my hands before I would extract its venom, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I had a cruetalist Hortis that shot musk into a woman's face. Well, oh, <laughs> I thought no. I thought like I worm. had my I thought I had my thumb over the vent, and uh, I was wrong, and she was not pleased. So oh, um, that's probably my most embarrassing thing I've done anyways we've not even gotten to a topic yet (laughs) we've not even gotten to a topic yet so i apologize but but
0: this is the topic you are the topic we've we've just been rambling yeah
1: we're all about rambling here yeah Uh, um i I mean how did so there's very few people working in venom extraction in the united states let alone the world how how did you decide like what made you decide to get into it and how did you start like you see that a lot of venom groups that are like i want to start doing venom extraction you know like what do i need to do and everyone's like okay get like a huge loan of several probably million dollars get a lab that's completely sanitary and up to like regulation get a bunch of snakes there's just it's 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 a lot to put in for you know there's just not a whole lot of money in it from what i've been told but it is it its
2: well, I'll, I'll answer that first. So like, cause we get it every day and, and that's legitimately every day. Um, I, I am not on Facebook or anything like that, but, um, our director of operations, Megan is, and she fields messages every single day. I want to start a venom lab. I want to start a venom lab. I want to start a venom lab. And, um, I will tell you that. And, and I think, jack puts it the right way you you're either made for it or you're not like it it's like one of those things where you're just i i can't put it into words you're like you're not afraid of it the envenomation you. and you're so driven to those animals and you don't care that you're losing money every time <laughs> every time you work with them but um you know i'd like to say you know uh, I mean, of course, the the payoff for us is and, and what means the most to me is we save lives. Our work directly contributes to saving lives mm-hmm. in impoverished nations. That that is the big payoff for me. But I mean, I think you just have to have a mentality that, you know, none of us are uh, like Carl Barden, George Van Horn, Jack, myself, even Jim Harrison. None of us are are thrill seekers We don't, we don't, I mean, I won't go on a roller coaster, but I'll handle 30 black mambas and extract from them, you know? Um, So I think you just have to be built with it and just really obsessed with these animals. And I think one thing that makes or breaks a venom extractor, and this is something that Bill taught to Jack, that Jack taught to me is if you go through your first bite and you're in intensive care And you come out of it angry at yourself and ready to do better. It it's built in you, you you know. Like yeah, yeah, that's the test. I'm explaining it in a really crummy way, Um, but I'm not articulating it the way I want to. But it it's pretty much um, that's what it is. And and so for me, I started out like we all did right? It's like Ray Morgan did in the Venom interviews. We all have the same story. Mm -hmm. We all caught garter snakes. We all played with plastic dinosaurs. We all, (laughs) you know, went out. For me, it was turtles. That was what I was obsessed with. And, And my cousin, I was six and I would go out with my little journal and make observations because we have so many turtles in Wisconsin and garter snakes are everywhere and fox snakes and bulls. And, and so it was like, uh, one of those things where I just loved finding them in the wild and I was out in the wild all the time. Cause my family were and are hardcore hunters and conservationists. Mm-hmm. So it was like, if we were Turkey hunting in fall or, or bow hunting, um, I was out when it was slow looking for salamanders under rocks and, and stuff like that. But my cousin, um, got, and it's so funny to say, because it's starting to make me feel really old, um, you know back before ball pythons were a thing oh god she started she <laughs> started getting wild caught imported ball pythons and um they wouldn't eat they wouldn't shed properly none of us with the things we know nowadays and even within the last 20 years was followed um they were some of the most defensive snakes you know it's funny Tom Crutchfield and I were talking about this a a few years ago. People don't remember how you would import ball pythons and they'd be striking and smashing their faces into the cage, you know? um, And, and now it's, it's like a puppy, but anyways, (laughs) we, I got to work with those and they were super defensive. And, and so I was really fascinated with like, how do I get them to eat and how do I help care for these? And, I still think what is the finest reptile publication on the planet was out then, which was the vivarium. Um, And so, you know, that was just a great combination of zoos and professional herpetologists and articles from private keepers that were innovating. And and it was a great sharing of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, And so anyways, so I was working with those and then, I got a little older, and I got a field guide for North America, and it had a picture of a coral snake in it. And at that time, everything was Micrurus fulvius, um, and except of course Arizona, the Microloides. But there wasn't a Texas coral really, and an Eastern coral. It was Micrurus fulvius fulvius and Micrurus fulvius tenor, and um, and I was hooked. Anything that was coral snake, um, I was. I mean, our house is, there's a huge section that's just a collection of every wooden carved coral snake and picture my, every member of my family as they travel around, if anyone saw anything that looked like a coral snake, they got it for me. And it was always, I'm going to do that one day. And that same cousin that was getting imported ball pythons and such at the time used to go down to the Miami Serpentarium and see Bill Haas's. Venom shows. Yeah, So I never got to see Mr. Host do anything. I only got all the brochures and memorabilia from when my cousin would go down there. So it was always in my head. And I kept reptiles for a really long time. But like what happens to a lot of us, we go out and we get jobs and we start families and blah, blah. And one day I was teaching, I was reading a book to my son that had a bunch of my coral snake clippings in it. And I went, the time has finally come to do this. So um, that's where the idea for M-toxins came from. And even before that, I just wanted to go back to studying coral snakes and, you know, just doing my own little private stuff. I wasn't concerned with the reptile community. I, I didn't care about any of those things. Um, so I got some coral snakes and I started working with them. I started talking casually to Jack, um, you know, to get input because he's the godfather of coral snake husbandry. Right. And, um, and started learning. And then I got in uh Kelly the, the Malaysian blue corals. Yeah. And Those things I was high. the, o- I was the only person at the time in North America that had them. and, I was posting on social media that I had them and everything like that. And Dr. Fry sent me a a message and said, would, would you feel confident giving me venom samples from them? And, um, I said, sure. So I started out getting some private samples. That's what ended up becoming the, the big scientific paper, which was where we found that that snake venom is one of the only snake venoms that has sodium channel activators. So, um, that was a huge jump in snake venom evolutionary research mm-hmm. that he was able to do. And th- at that time I started to kind of form M toxins. And, and a lot of people don't realize that M means my Um, so it used to be mycurus toxins. And then I dropped it down to M toxins and, um, Dr. Fry kept coming back and saying, what else can you provide? What else can you provide? What else can you, <laughs> you provide? Um, And then before you knew it, um, I was into so many genera and so many species under each genera. It was, it was ridiculous and it just grew. Um, and, uh, it was difficult at the time because professionals in the industry knew that I was starting out. Um, but I couldn't disclose who was getting venom from me. Mm what the studies were. And even to this day, like we're held under very strict non-disclosures because we sell to multiple anti-venom manufacturers and each manufacturer has their own formula, their own oh, things yeah. they want to put into it. So we can't communicate. We have to always watch what we say, but anyways, and I was heavily attacked on social media for being a fraud because there would be these, these videos of me extracting venom, and people are like, "Here's another poser," with no idea <laughs> that that the toxins were all going out and and going to researchers, and that developed into really close relationships um, with a lot of people in professional venomous herpetology and the scientific community, and then we started to get anti venom work, um, and then that grew, um, and we needed more space. Um, so I bought that old appliance store and, um, decided to make 50% of it laboratory space to expand my production and, uh, and 50% as an educational center. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it got to where it is.
1: Well, you guys did a video. Someone did a video not long ago. It might've been Dave Kaufman, but, uh, like, they yeah, were talking about, you know, it's not as simple as just keeping snakes. Like you guys have to keep records of everything like oh you're probably talking about
2: the snake discovery video yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. so they so that's actually that record keeping system is a system that that i designed and then had a software company design it for me but the world health organization likes to see every time a snake shed every time a snake was fed every time a snake was extracted from every single pattern and we have to be able to go back 50 years in Mm -hmm. records so I sat there and I thought about it. And when I got started out, Bill Haas had a uh, a record-keeping system that all of his guys who worked for him, his core people, still use today. So like George Van Horn and, and Jack. Carl does it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but but those guys that were under uh, Mr. Haas' tutelage still use that record-keeping system. And I went, geez, I, I can't do this. I can't keep... Three by five cards, essentially, right? Um, for fifty years. So I, I said I've got to find a different way, and so, um, so we just developed each each animal has it its own ID barcode, and then each function that animal gets has its own barcode. So I can just scan within a few seconds, and you know we check each snake every day. So if we see one going opaque, boom, it's logged, um, and then we also then can prove because the world health organization doesn't want you extracting from a snake that's in shed. Um, we can also prove that there was appropriate duration between when we saw the snake go opaque oh, yeah. and when we next extracted from it. But when an auditor comes in um, and to my knowledge, we're the only venom production lab in North America that gets audited by the WHO. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll come in and they'll say, I need to see every single record for this specific snake. And I have to be able to pull that up on the laptop and say, it was fed this date. It refused a prey item this date. It was extracted from here. And, and um, especially with the lots of venom, because what can happen is there could be something wrong with the snake. You don't know it. There could You could have some bacterial growth in the venom, which is a very, yeah. very, very bad thing. And if there's ever a quality concern, I need to be able to go back to my customer and say, these lots could potentially be affected. They're going to be pulled. They're going to be destroyed. Um, we've And and pinpoint it to one animal. That's what the WHO wants you to be able to do. So it, it was just a system we came up with. A great software development company in Wisconsin designed it for us and it goes really quick and it's no drama and we can keep our records really nicely.
1: Well, I'm sure that makes the, the who individuals makes their job a lot easier too, when they don't have to dig through, you know, endless amounts of cards oh, and yeah. stuff. No
2: one, no yeah. one wants to come in and deal, dig through file cabinets Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, they'll look at a lot of venom, like, you know, I mean, and it's sad because for the first, whatever, nine years of my business, it was all done on cards. So, Luckily, those were small lots of Venom, most of, most of which are all long sold. But um, pretty much I had to, to make a really difficult decision. And when we launched at the new facility, everything started as new batches. Mm-hmm. So it's like we'll tell clients, like, you can have it from the pre-record keeping system. You know, it's still good Venom. It's still past its it's quality inspection. But, you know, the record keeping isn't there and we just leave it up to them. Yeah.
1: And what's the reason that they, they don't want you to do it when they're going into a shed cycle?
2: You know what? It's really interesting because they don't give a lot of detail as to why. They're, you know, just like any set of laws, like there's stuff yeah. in there that makes you go, why? <laughs> a lot of why? ambiguity is left there on purpose. Because but I told what you I too. believe, That's why I what I questions. believe, it's specifically because of stress. I think they're mm. concerned about stress that makes
3: sense. and of course yeah.
2: a, a stressed animals going to produce, it can affect the quality of a venom, mm-hmm. you know, same. you know, it's just like having a, I explain this to people that come into the serpentarium every day. Um, you know, it's just like having a dairy farm. If yeah. we don't take care of the cattle, we don't get a quality milk product and we don't sell to the dairies, right? Like to, For production Mm -hmm. like to go out and be mass you know processed and sold to grocery stores like it's the same thing If, if i don't keep those animals to the most ethical and highest standards possible and and follow a lot of these regulations whether they make sense to me or not um it can affect the quality of my product and and i won't i won't risk that i'll take the extra 10 steps um to do it you know
1: I mean, if you're already going this far, you might as well, you know.
2: Exactly.
1: But uh, I mean, what's an average day like? When you, I mean, you wake up, you go to work. Does, <laughs> first, is it ever the same, or does it does it vary? First,
2: I awake. Huh. Then no, um, I awake and Then no, snake. Yes, I wake and Snake. No, I um, I I still work a normal job. I don't take a penny from M toxins. Um, so I work a normal job as a field engineer and technical writer for a major corporation, which is generous enough to allow me to do that in a remote office from the M toxins building. And then, um, my interns and staff, uh, come in and they prep the serpentarium and they make sure the laboratory, everything is good. And then um, about 30 minutes before we open to the public is when I change into the scrubs and then go and start doing the extraction work. And so typically for me, it's, it's pretty simple. A portion of my day is dedicated to training interns on handling. um, Then doing the actual extractions and processing the venoms um, and then prepping orders and doing paperwork because internationally to send toxins into some of these countries is an incredible amount of paperwork
1: oh I believe it and the uh, did, when you as far as extractions go how long do you have I mean you guys lyphalize it and freeze dry
2: it and yeah I mean like we how take long it do in, you
1: have to do to, how long do you have to do that before
2: it's no good well I mean it depends because the minute the venom leaves the snake's gland it starts to deteriorate so um so the best the best thing you can do is like as soon as you get it out of the snake like if you're doing a big run you know we actually monitor our temperatures of our venom as we're collecting Mm -hmm. and if it gets over a certain temperature it's automatically um uh put into a refrigerated centrifuge spun down and then instantly prepped for lyophilization and um and so our typical process is to go straight from the snake purify and go straight onto the machine that day. So, um, we don't really give it, we don't let the venom sit around at all. Mm Um, you know, sometimes they'll carry into the next day, but it's, it's pretty rare for us except tarantula, like invertebrate venoms, you know?
1: Yeah. And that's a, that's a whole nother thing I wanted to get into in a little bit, but, uh, Sure. I mean, how many species do you guys have on hand right now as far as maybe just snakes, and then I guess overall? because you have to have a lot of inverts in order to do venom extraction on those because it's a very small yield with pretty much any species, right?
2: It is an incredibly small yield. and it and it's I think the worst thing are the widows, oh, right. Yeah. I mean those oh Man. my gosh. And you have to be so delicate because, you know the the thing is is I love black widows. They are awesome, They're very cool. not. Not because they're toxic, just their physiology yeah, is so cool. their behaviors and
1: are really interesting.
2: They're so I've, really I've interesting spiders. i kept a lot of spiders.
1: before, and they're very interesting spiders.
2: Yeah, I, I absolutely love them. And so, you know, you're going through all this work, and you're trying to be so gentle and, and all this stuff. And then you look at your capillary tube that you've collected the venom in, and you go, that's it. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's all, <laughs> it's all this pomp and circumstance for almost no uh, no payoff, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, but it's, it's fascinating work. The invertebrates, I mean, I could talk about those forever because that was something, um, that I made a very conscientious effort to do because no one else, no other venom lab, uh, in North America does invertebrates. I mean, some of the universities, of course, um, will do centipedes. And I know like, uh, uh, the Viper Institute has done some extractions from scorpions and stuff as they were developing the um, the uh, North American uh, Arizona bark scorpion anti-venom. Mm-hmm. Um, but doing it in large quantities were the only ones and and there's a demand um, for high quality invertebrate venoms. Now, I'll preface, <laughs> well,'ll I'll say, to an extent, there's a demand because um, every Tom, Dick and Harry is out there wanting to milk their uh, their pink toe tarantula and thinks they're going to make <laughs> 80, 80, 80 million dollars. And, you know, Scorpion venom's the most valuable liquid in the world. Well, yeah, yeah. that's true. But who's going to buy it? Right. Y- you know, so we produce what we know we can sell. Um, there was and, a guy
1: in the... Uh in the venom interviews group i think it was or one of the maybe one of the Scorpion groups he was asking he was a european or something he wasn't his english wasn't great but he, he was asking about scorpion venom extraction he's like how many scorpions would i have to have to make a liter of venom and i said about a billion it's,
2: it's like, ridiculous <laughs> it's like, i dude. mean and and it and it doesn't even correlate where the more scorpions you have like the bigger the scorpion the bigger the venom yield that's not even true mm-hmm. so and and here's the thing it's no secret we i hide all, all of us do jack carl george myself we all hide our methods to a point right mm-hmm. so even the people that are coming in and watching us do invertebrates there's a lot of people that say to me oh i could easily i could extract from a tarantula well there's a lot more there's a lot more to it right so first of all you need to keep that animal alive okay so you need to do it and be gentle and you need to know how much CO2 to give it and for what duration of time. And, you know, you're kind of, as you learn this stuff, you're experimenting on a living thing. And so, you know, like I take it, I get hit as hard if we lose a a, a tarantula on the venom line as I would any other living thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a bit of a bleeding heart that way. But you have to know that. But then, okay, we all know, everyone knows we electro-stimulate okay but where do you do it and where is the most ethical place to do it and what should your voltage be and what should your amperage be so you're not damaging or burning the animal yeah. how do you, there is uh and and then just in processing uh invertebrate venoms it is an entirely different world from snakes um an entirely different skill set and um so when you really start to look at it, yeah, maybe you can get your Goliath bird eater to put its fangs over a vial and, and give you a couple drops, but how long are you gonna be able to keep it alive and keep it doing that ethically? That that that's the problem. Yeah, you know? I'm, I'm looking um,
1: at the spider list right now. How come y'all don't do anything with ornamentals?
2: <laughs> We're starting. Certain stuff certain stuff we can't list because oh, okay. it's, it's being worked with for one specific client and we can't make it widely available until specific research is done. Um, so it's actually a much more extensive list than what we put on our website. Same with snakes. Yeah, um, I, I used to
1: keep a lot of ornamentals, man. Those are such cool spiders. And anybody who thinks they can easily milk that, like after having chased many around my room, like good freaking luck, dude. <laughs>
2: Well, we, you know, I think the worst are the huntsmen's because they'll levitate.
3: Yeah.
1: I
2: mean, give me, give me Brazilian wandering spiders all day long, <laughs> but those huntsmen, you look and they're gone Yeah. and you're like, Oh, it's on my face. <laughs> and you know, I mean, it's just ridiculous They're, That's a pain in Man. the butt, but yeah.
3: That's
1: just, there seems like there's, there's been so little done in the way of studies as far as tarantula venoms and stuff that. I'm like, man, we haven't even scratched the surface on those things yet. But you think about just yeah. how potent, you know, Pasilitharia venom is and stuff mm. like that. It's like, there's gotta be something in there that yeah. people
2: can use. Well, and okay. And that's the thing that I tried to say in the, um, in the video with snake discovery. And, um, you know, I was talking about, uh, I was doing in that video, I did like pink toe extractions and I, I think I did Goliath bird eater And stuff like that. And a bunch of the tarantula community people were attacking me saying, why are you even putting these spiders through this? Um, Their venom isn't toxic. And I make a point to, I had made a point in the video to say all venom is valuable and all venom needs to be studied. Right. There could be something in the duck build platypus. Yeah. Right that could eventually revolutionize medicine. So just just because a pink toe bites you and you have mild swelling, doesn't mean that there is not something in that venom that could benefit mankind. Yeah. And and e- even still, if we wanna understand the evolution of those venoms, we have to extract them and we have to look at them. So, you know, it's uh, it's not just about if it can hurt a person. Um, there's so much more than that, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, you never know until you look. Yeah.
2: exactly. And and one thing that that's really interesting is, you know, people people will say, um, you know, there's a lot of researchers looking at snake venoms that we've studied forever, and the reason for that is as the as the equipment, the analytical equipment, gets more uh, gets more uh, specific um giving higher quality readouts letting them see different things in the venoms all new things are being discovered in in snake toxins that you know we thought we already knew everything about
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know so that's what's that's what's so fascinating and that's what we try to tell people who say they want to be venom extractors it's like no go and study toxins and and better the world that way right i mean you know Help in snakebite. Help learn how to treat treat snakebite, and work in Africa. And and you know, there's so many different avenues that you can make a difference working in and around venomous animals. Um, you know, etc. Now we're doing toads, so that's a new thing wow. for us too. Oh, neat. Yeah, that's really cool.
1: It's. I mean, it's sad, man. Like it's 2020, and there's still places in the world where if you get bit by something, it's a death sentence. Like,
2: yeah. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it. I was in, I was in Kenya in 2019, um, for the Snakebite Foundation, of which I'm a, I'm a board member, and, um, and we went into some areas and uh, just ravaged by snakebite. I, I, I mean, it is a daily occurrence. If you meet someone that hasn't been snake bitten. They have someone either in their tribe or their family who has either lost a limb, almost died, or been snake bitten, right? Or you know, yeah. has has had it touch their lives in some way. Everyone, everyone. Jesus. It's it's a very sad thing, and it brings me to a point I try to bring up to people all the time, which is, you know. Everyone is so focused, even the, the people that aren't involved in venomous herpetology at all. Um, what's the deadliest snake? What's the deadliest oh, snake? Yeah. Well,
1: how, how exhausted the, are you with that question?
2: <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny because if OK, uh, I think Doug Hodel said it best where he's like, well, do you want to get hit by a Mack truck or a Peterbilt? Like it's, it's like what what kind of semi should kill me? I I mean, dead is dead, um, but, you know, the snake that causes the most death in Africa is a sawscale viper, Mm -hmm. and sawscale vipers aren't toxic to mice, but they'll drop a human being like you wouldn't believe, and that's Mm -hmm. where I get so irritated with LD50. Um, You know, everyone's so hung up on what's the deadliest snake, and it's like, First of all, dead is dead, and if you want to go by what bites everybody, it's you know carpet vipers and Russell's vipers, and you know in in India and stuff like right. that. I mean, it's it's the unassuming ones that don't affect necessarily. I mean, Russell's vipers affect mice a lot, um, but I'm just saying, you know, number one deadliest snake in the world is a is a little sawscale scale viper, you know.
1: No, those are nasty little things, man.
2: They really are, and is there they, is, is there really a reason
1: are. that they they don't affect mice as much as they do us? Is there some sort of like what are what do we have that they don't that it that it's that devastating?
2: Honestly, that is an incredible question, and I am not nearly intelligent enough to answer it. <laughs> I'm just I'm just gonna be honest. There's I, I can tell you this: there's a study coming out very soon um, that comes in with some atheris stuff um that will explain that Mm -hmm. but we're we right now are not allowed to talk about it
1: well if anybody knows me they know that i'm a big atherist nerd i used to i love them yes you are i used to spend so much there used to be a website it's not around anymore It was world of atherists i think it was dot org and it was just a whole website that was all about that genus had a ton of pictures of all the different species and stuff you know, there's a bunch that are actually new to that group that weren't on there at the time. But, man, I used to print out, like, every page on that website, and I just had a binder. I had no life. And,
2: <laughs> I, well, I mean, so and, cool. and, and I'll tell you, it's a fascinating genus. Um, the thing that bothers me is is they're treated in a very cavalier manner, yes. where people are like, oh, you want to have a venomous snake? Well, you can get a copperhead or a squam. Squams aren't that bad squams aren't that toxic well wait till this paper comes out because it, it's going to change the way people look at those snakes and it, to me with what's going to be shown there um people are going to realize just how little venom a squam is giving It, it they're, they're holding on to it mm-hmm. because a full on bite um will do some very horrific things and I nice. actually helped uh a zookeeper out in uh, California that was envenomated by uh, a smaller Atheris squamagera, and um, that bite was not pretty at all.
1: Yeah, it just it not amazes me, all. and I've said it a million times on on the show, and you know, on Snakes and Stogies with Phil, you know, squams like they just everyone just writes them off, and it's yeah, like I that's mean... a species that literally they don't have an antivenom for. Like if you can right. get a hold
2: of some echis. Serum. Yeah, if you like, can, if luck, you can get a hold yeah. yeah, but yeah, B, and it, like, and not all the echos anti venoms will work. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, there's specific ones that'll that'll have cross reactivity, but not not all it's of them. Like,
1: why would you recommend something that there is like legitimately no real treatment for that's easily accessible?
2: Yeah. Well, it's like people, in my opinion, who buy Samar spitting cobras, which I think are absolutely stunning. I mean, they're bright yellow and black and they're gorgeous there's no serum for them and they're gonna rot your flesh off you know same with black and white spitters there's no anti-serum for those um and you know i mean you get bit on the finger you're gonna lose the finger um and so and you know and that you know you can go on king snake and buy one for 60 bucks so you know <laughs> we talk
1: about that then, a lot too we're like hey let's go get a
0: Gaboon they're yeah,
2: 50
1: bucks on Kingsnake right yeah, now go to, mm-hmm. go,
0: go to the Repticon, go to Repticon hour and a half off the road
2: I am all for private keeping I believe that private venomous keeping really pushes toward like pushes forward so much and like um, you know it's, it's like how when we were talking um, through DM um, about like Cody and Pia and, and mm. Reptile Preservation Institute, right? Like they supply a massive number of our animals, right? They're not a venom lab. They're not a zoo.
3: Yeah.
2: Right? They're 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 serious individuals who care about those animals. They study those animals and they reproduce those animals. And um, and to me, that saying that private keeping is, is a bad thing is a slap in the face to people like that who, who make huge sacrifices, uh, to preserve these animals, you know, um, and study these animals.
1: Their setups alone inspire people to to do more, you know, like having been around and helped them clean cages and stuff like that. It's like, I really need to up my game at home. Just seeing their stuff. Well, it's like, like, uh, you know, uh,
2: Another one of my friends, you know, Michael Vescio, who does uh, rare venomous yeah, snake propagation. He does propagation. the coolest stuff,
1: man. He's got the coolest he, collection.
2: He's he's brilliant. He's brilliant, and and so who's to say he? You know, he could walk into a lot of zoos, not all zoos. I don't want to offend anyone, but he could <laughs> go into he could go into most zoos to the head of herpetology and school them. And this is a man without a degree in herpetology or, you know, comparative vertebrate anatomy and any of these types of fancy degrees you can have. This is a person who just understands and learns as much as they can about these rare snakes and works their asses off to preserve them. And, um, and so to say the private sector doesn't have a place or shouldn't be there, uh, is to me insulting. Um, whereas, you know, of course there's people I could list a million names who buy a Gaboon Viper, they pet it, they get bitten, they lose half their hand. And then there's new laws made.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's another thing I've preached a bunch is just like, if you're
2: going to do it, have a brain, do it right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not hard to do it right. There's a particular person That I have now helped through six envenomations in three years as a a private, as a private individual, Um, and you get to a point, you know, this is tough, and I guarantee this makes me sound like the biggest ass in the world. (laughs) I'm not. I'm not required to give them my antivenom. I'm not. No one should
1: be like it's. Well, well.
2: If you're gonna... But I'm not a doctor. Yeah. I'm not a doctor. I don't i do not have to answer the phone and help them. That's what poison control is for. And I don't have to give them my anti-venom. But with this particular individual, what they had done was had slowly, because it was all African snakes, mm-hmm. had slowly drained one of our biggest zoos in the state of all of their South African polyvalent.
0: Oh, my God. And...
2: It was to the point where those zookeepers weren't gonna be safe. Yeah. If if I didn't help, because at the time there was a problem with that anti-venom manufacturer and the horse farm was shut down for immunizing and the FDA wouldn't let the anti-venom be imported. So here's a zoo that has an impeccable safety record. I mean, absolutely impeccable, watching their anti-venom drop to nothing and they don't have the ability to bring more in. So then, it becomes a problem of okay. Well, I guess now it's my job to run anti venom two hours south, and and try to help. You know, mm-hmm. um, for which we never get paid back for it. It's why it's why Jim Harrison and Kristen Wiley get so irritated because you know they have a massive anti venom bank at their at Kentucky Reptile Zoo, and they um, they have to drain it for private keepers that aren't prepared. But then. You know, that's irritating enough, but then the private keepers don't come back and say, you know, I use 10 vials of your antivenom at $80 $80 a vial. Can I give you the money so you can get more?
1: Even if it's in, like,
2: payments or something. Like, not even, Mm -hmm. just something, you know? Right, right. So, you know, we help with, I mean, for me, I help with probably on a bad year, Twelve private keeper envenomations a year.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask how many how many calls you get.
2: I, I would say ten. No. Um, never a call for a native Wisconsin um, envenomation. Never. But we get calls from you know neighboring states um, all the time, and and I think you know one of the things that's so important for us as I guess quote unquote reptile community is you don't hear about them intentionally right you know we get we get called or we get called by poison control or we're called by the person who is envenomated and we keep it quiet not to hide it but because whose business is it you know it it's it's nobody's business and there's you know it seems like the 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 negative uh, aspect of of the internet age is people love to sensationalize when a person is envenomated It's really nobody's business. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, when something like that happens, but it's like, it's like sharks with blood in the water. Everybody wants to kind of, he didn't have his own antivenom and he didn't, it's like, just leave the guy alone. He's snake bitten. He's now going to be poor, right? (laughs) Just, you know, he screwed up. We don't need to smear his name all over Facebook. Um, you know, impure anyway, yeah, yeah.
3: Well
1: as a yeah. as a venom production guy, I mean, do you do you think that people should carry their own as far as I mean, I know native I, stuff I, is one thing, but I mean what's your opinion as far as people going you through know all what the I steps do, to I, get
2: their own? I do because it's so easy. See that, there's this huge misconception and, and Al Coritz, you know, Viper Keeper, mm-hmm. um I've known him for a long time, and he's preached it for a long time, as has Kentucky Reptile Zoo. The FDA wants you to be safe. If they didn't, they wouldn't make it as simple as it is. Well, they wouldn't make it as simple as it is for a private keeper to get serum. And, you know, I think it's just we live in such an age of laziness. You know, people look, it's two forms. One, you have to have a physician fill out, and all that is is the physician is stating, if my patient is envenomated, I will file records, the medical records, to the FDA. So what that literally means is I'm going to be the doctor responsible. They're not even the doctor that's going to administer the Mm antivenom. They're not even the doctor that's going to be on call when you're there. It's just... I am the person that is going to ensure that if this person is bitten and foreign anti-venom is used, it will be reported to the FDA. And the other form is, hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. And these are the anti-venoms I want to stop. And it costs nothing. It's free. Kristen
1: Wiley talked about it too. She made that that one post at one point and everyone sort of was like, oh, wow, that's it. And it was like,
2: yeah, yeah, everyone but... says, "Oh, wow, that's it," and then no one takes action on it. No. So, um, you know, it, it's funny because I've seen I helped treat a very bad king cobra bite. Right? I mean, really bad, and um, that was quite a few years ago. But mm-hmm. um, king cobra antivenom is thirty-five dollars a vial. Really, that per that person needed. Uh, well over 30 vials now um they could have bought at least a starter dose right Mm -hmm. of of 10 vials that's usually what's recommended is is 10 vials to start when it's a king cobra envenomation um and spent very little money right and uh and would have had the anti-venom that much faster than having to have it come from an anti-venom bank or a serpentarium slash venom lab, you know, I mean, even with the lapid bites, people forget that time is tissue, you yeah, know, yeah. so you can have a mamba bite and yeah, the neurotoxic effects are terrible. Um, usually the person dies before they have start having flesh rot, you know, um, but it'll happen. You know, <laughs> snakes have enzymes in their venom and mm-hmm. it, it will happen, you know, tissue damage will happen, in most cases, usually not coral snakes, but in mambas, in most cobras, etc. And, of course, Viparaday.
1: I mean, how how important is that initial dosage, though? Like, even if you only had 10 vials, how much of a leg up is that going to
2: give you? Oh, my gosh. It gives you such a leg up. Yeah, It gives you such a leg up. And, and you know, knowing the common sense stuff, like, okay, if you're bitten by, if you keep a lapids, at the very least, keep a, a compression bandage with you, mm-hmm. because with those you you should use one for the extremity that's bitten. You know, vipers, of course, that's gonna oh, Good, say goodbye to the limb. <laughs> but Forget when you have that. when you have a lapidate, I mean, that's just. And what does that cost you? Go to go to Walmart or Walgreens and go pick one up. Um, you know, and have one in your snake room. You know that's going to make a big difference too.
1: Now, is there a benefit to the compression over just a straight tourniquet? With, I mean, with the
2: lapid bites. Yes and no. How's that for an answer? How's <laughs> that yeah. spot me. on?
0: Moving on, <laughs> next subject. Um...
1: <laughs> yeah, because I've always heard. You know, Obviously, if it's if it's some sort of crotalid or viperid, you know, wrapping it is, like you said, it's guaranteed. You'd yeah. Just, guaranteed just write it I off. Mean, a, pressure,
2: yeah. a pressure immobilization bandage is, that should be part of every Elapid Keeper's kit, mm-hmm. right? What is creepy, I will tell you, is when they're used and you're starting to get your anti-venom and they release it and all the venom starts to move through the body, That that can be a pretty crazy effect to see. Um, you know, because it's basically been held up in one spot, right. and now it's now it's released through in a very rapid fashion. Um, so that can be really interesting.
1: And so, what's your what's what's the the most and least difficult species to work with as far as extraction goes?
3: <laughs> I, I
1: think, know uh... that's probably a very broad. Rush no 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 well i drink. mean you know i could give Surely the, there's there's the... some that you wake up and you go to do and you're like oh god i hate doing these things and then there's some yeah, you're like pretty, this is gonna be a pretty,
2: breeze pretty much so like i love doing a lapidate um more than viperidae and i think the snake that scares me the most and i feel like i'm directly stealing george van horn's words are eastern diamondbacks um mm-hmm. i do i love them they are one of my favorite snakes they they don't terrify me, but when I have to go in and extract from them, it's belligerence. I mean, they are... <laughs> I don't do them in front of people, typically. Like, like, Carl Barden is the master of Eastern Diamondbacks. He is by far the best at extracting venom from Eastern Diamondbacks out of anyone I have ever seen, um, either internationally or within the United States. And um, he... He has a level of control and understanding of those animals that I do not. Um, I've not had close calls with Eastern Diamondbacks or anything like that. Um, We try to follow Carl's methods, but um, there's just something about a snake that's that huge with that big of fangs, with that massive of a venom yield, that just... Makes you pucker a little bit. But I mean, how would, <laughs> how would
1: those compare though to like a, just a, a decent sized gaboon? That's what I was. I mean, that's I would think I about gaboons. Okay.
2: Well, you would think fairly similar, like maybe from a physiological standpoint and stuff like that. But when you, when you're holding a gaboon, once that gaboon is pinned, they typically limp out. They're kind of like, okay, I'm. Fine. You got me. <laughs> you you, know, we go. like, you got me. <laughs> Um, but then when you when you grab an eastern diamondback, in most cases, the ones that I have extracted venom from, they will fight you, um, and they Jeez. will fight you tooth and nail. Um, yeah,
0: I've seen some extractions yeah, where they just grab them by the head and they just go yeah. nuts. You know, and that yeah, always, that, that just watching it makes me pucker, man. I'm like, I couldn't imagine that big of an animal thrashing. Like rodeo
2: holding on for the full eight seconds. Yeah. It's, it's oh, well, it's funny. It drives. Okay. So, so in our extraction room, we were doing Eastern Diamondbacks for a bit, but it was driving the gal who's my right hand at this company, Megan Valan, nuts because Carl developed. Okay. It's kind of interesting. So, um, George came up with a way to press down on the body to help support the animal when he was going into pins. So his assistant had like an L-shaped tool um, that would gently press down on the back of the Eastern so it wouldn't thrash around and throw a fit, and he could safely get it in his hands. Carl Barden took it one step further and developed the press pad. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sure if you've ever seen videos of him yeah, doing I Easterns, know what you're about. you've seen it. Yep. So we kind of took from Carl what he taught us and we also use uh, the press pad and that, you know, that makes it a bit better. That's, That's one of the things that's great about the North American venom extractors is we'll all share our experiences and where we screwed up and we try to innovate together and make each other better because for the most part, none of us compete against one another. Right. You know, um, you know, my business is all international. Most of theirs is North America. And um, of course they do other stuff too. They sell to international institutions that I don't and, and what have you, but it's a really tight knit group um, that really try to innovate and share our methods with each other. Um, Because you never know if you might need their help. Or, you know, all those guys are far more experienced than I am. They're older than me. They've been doing it much longer. Um, And so, you know, I don't view them as, you know, go to hell. You're my competitor. I go, you're a potential mentor and you're smarter than me. So, you know, help me do this better. Well, I'd imagine with
1: with it being such a small group, I'd imagine you almost have to have it like that, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's tough because some of the international Venom producers don't like that type of relationship, it's it's very different and it can be very contentious. But
3: yeah, I'm
1: sure there's a lot um,
2: of politics world. I mean. <clears throat> yeah, um, you know, and anti venom right now is big business, and I don't mean that from the venom perspective. I mean that it's every pharmaceutical company, every anti venom manufacturer, rather, fighting tooth and nail to be the anti venom and and be the solution global snakebite and so um it's it's kind of created divides in weird ways anti-venom is a weird business um a weird weird business of proprietary information and backstabbing and oh my god Jeez. not between the venom extractors all on the pharmaceutical yeah, company right, end right
1: somehow that doesn't surprise me yeah
0: So do y'all do, or do y'all do anything with like Gila monsters or anything like that?
2: We do. Um, we provide samples, just occasional samples for research. We don't have any contracts for it or anything like that. Um, it's fun to do. Um, I kind of developed a method that's a little bit different than, um, everyone else is using, um, that seems to work really well with a little less stress to the lizard, but, um. It's it's minimal. I mean, very minimal of of those toxins that we sell. Okay, I gotcha.
1: See, I'm surprised to hear that it's that it's Adamantius that you s- dislike the most. Because every time I talk to people that keep venomous and they do like extraction stuff, which isn't that many, I fully expect them to say like bothrops or something like that.
2: Because bothrops don't bother me. That's, because so they, those are the ones that
1: I will. Like, if I ever do keep exotic venomous, like bothrops will not be on that
3: list. Yeah. But
1: well I think
2: I think, you know, I mean I still say one of the easiest and people think I'm insane, but I, one of the easiest snakes to work with are Mambas. I, I truly believe that. Yeah. I mean you know, um and I would I would rather handle a, a large bathrops than a forest cobra. You yeah, know, so personally I've heard forests
1: I mean are bad too. Yeah. I've heard nothing oh, of the bad things about forest cobras.
2: Forests are insane. They're insane. And, and, you know, it's, um, it's uh, I'll say another thing. I shouldn't say uh, everyone, everyone who likes to be flowery, lovey about reptiles. No snake will chase you. Yeah. Get up, get out of forest Cobra and then come and talk has to no me. Fear. <laughs> get, get, that snake has no fear. It's arboreal. It's fast. You know um, they have the worst disposition of any cobras um, and yeah, everyone that's like, oh, no snake would chase a person. I have watched forest cobras corner people <laughs> in a room, you know, <laughs> um, it, Jeez. they are, they are terrors. Yeah, I've heard their husbandry alone is a pain in the ass. From I mean, I, I don't know. We've, you know, we're keeping, um, we have on display a, uh, a large, what's now um, Wolfgang Wooster broke up, um, Nya Melanoluca into, into five Oh, was species. it him that did that? Yeah. I didn't know um, I heard
1: about it, but I didn't know who was behind it.
2: And so, um, the, the one that's called the brown forest, forest cobra, the Nya Subfulva, um, we have one of those on display. They're the prettiest. They used to be called Cameroon, uh, uh, forest cobras cause mm. they're red and, uh, they're beautiful red and brown with black. And white flecks through their black scales. I mean, they're just absolutely stunning. Um, But our husbandry out in the display has just been a standard African forest. I
0: gotcha.
2: And we haven't had any problems. And then in the lab, everything is on paper towel. Every single snake is on paper towel. And um, I've got. Don't you know that all your snakes are supposed to be set up
1: in Bavaria? No, God. Racks are made by the
2: devil. How dare you keep them in those little boxes, um, monster! You monster! I actually that that um, I, I I've always said that the least the people who are involved in reptiles the least knowledgeable are the ones who hate racks because and and I'm really painting with a broad brush like you know when you're a venom extractor all that snake wants to do. Is hide, be warm, and, you know, just I don't want to see light. I don't want to see anything, yeah. right? I, I, I want food. And then sometimes this kind of fat guy grabs me behind the head. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's their life. I get life.
1: pestered by him on occasion. That's, that's, it's not so yeah,
2: bad. I get I get pestered by him. So, you know, we are giving those snakes truly the best quality of life they can have given what they're doing you know i mean i absolutely love the serpentarium one thing i do and it's just comical i get like a i get like i'm 6 years old again at night when all the light timers go off um in the serpentarium for nighttime i just go watch the snakes do their thing yeah. cuz they're all in our all our displays are bioactive and um and all that kind of jazz so it it's just fascinating to to go and watch them act as naturally as they can living in a glass box, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it always made me laugh, like the dichotomy of how we as a reptile community argue about how unnatural it is. You know, one person's methods are worse than another person's methods. Well, guess what? It's not natural to feed laboratory grade rice to a reptile or rice, Jesus Christ. <laughs> nice! Or rats to a reptile and keep them in a box. Yeah.
3: That's so that's even,
1: always been you know, my argument is you know, if you're gonna talk about natural versus unnatural, we're all in the
2: wrong. If that's we're all in the wrong. And <laughs> of course some seriously. are some are some are way more in the wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was laughing the other day. We were gonna as a joke at the at the Serpentarium, we were gonna set up uh, out of an old um, keeping box turtles in captivity book from 1988 or 87, <laughs> and it showed uh, we were going to set up a mock enclosure of how they said to do it, which was like get a 40 gallon fish tank, put the green AstroTurf down, oh put God. a heat rock in, and it's like, the dreaded it's heat rock. Old old school husbandry, man. That's that's where it was at. Jeez, yeah,
1: yeah. It's with mambas. It's interesting because after you know you hear all these horror stories of like how bad mambas are, and then you watch Cody work with his, and they're pretty chill, especially those monster blacks. I mean, they're like. I think it's because they fully know that at any point if they wanted to go somewhere they could. Yeah, but they're like whatever, dude. Aren't his blacks like
0: his favorite animals?
3: I
1: mean, he's got.
2: I think they are. He loves black mambas. (laughs) I have the majority of that. Pair of black mamba's last clutch, um, nice. and they're now up to suitable size that we use them on the venom line, and um, and this is the thing, uh, you know that with black mambas, right? We have um, we have two black mambas on display. One is one from Cody; it's a male, um, and it's maybe only six feet long. And then we have the one that we just retired that I've called Big Girl affectionately for the last I don't know how many years. And she's 12 feet and a little bit. Um, Her body's about the diameter of a Coke can. And that snake, you can take out with a hook, set it down for maintenance, because she will not go in a can. Like, she will not go in a garbage can. You cannot secure her. So we take her out, and it's only me that handles her. I take her out, I set her on the ground, and she doesn't move. Jesus. Ever.
1: The anti Mamba. She,
2: yeah. She's the anti Mamba. And so most of my black Mambas are that way. Mambas are very inquisitive. They want to go around. They want to crawl around. They want to smell everything. They want to they want to know what's going on. Um and I always say that Mambas have a switch. And when that switch flips is when they go absolutely psychotic. But on. I I mean, if you're... This is what I've always trained people in. If you're deliberate in your moves, in working with a Mm -hmm. mamba, and you understand what they can do as far as getting up the hook and all this other stuff, if you're deliberate and you're patient and you take your time, they are not dangerous to work with. If you go in there and you want to get that snake... It's one thing I really push. I don't care if it's a copperhead or... A, a black mamba. If it takes you 10 extra minutes to get the snake out of the exhibit safely, then spend the extra 10 minutes. Yeah. It, it, it there's no reason to rush even in venom extraction. Like I, you know, I'll never understand the bravado of, I did 700, you know, Crotalus atrox in three minutes. Good for you. <laughs> I did 10 in 10 minutes. And that was enough for me, Mm -hmm. right? It's just be deliberate, take your time, and plan your moves. And, and, you know, that's the best advice I think you can have if you're going to work with that kind of stuff.
3: Well,
1: I would think for a lot of people it's that I don't have control over it. And so if something decides it wants to zig when it should have zagged, people are like, I'm no longer sort of in control of the situation. So they feel like they have to rush to like regain some sort of get their footing back. But I like, I'm always a firm believer of, you know, any snake, if it wants to, you know, within reason, obviously don't let it disappear down a, you know, air vent or something like that, but let it go where it wants to go. Let it chill out for a second and then do your thing.
2: Well, I, I have, um, I'm very selective of who I'll teach in mambas. Um, Mm -hmm. Mambas and forest cobras are the two, where I have to have a level of confidence in a person I'm training and handling. Like uh, I'll put it in perspective. A, a guy started with me uh, when he was 15 years old, his parents were very supportive. They wanted him to be involved in herpetology and in venomous herpetology specifically, he's now on his fourth year with me and he has probably done, I'm not exaggerating 10,000 handlings easily in those four years and he is just now learning forest cobras and mambas wow but you learn things like okay if this black mamba or green mamba whatever the hell starts climbing up the hook and i can't get it to come off the hook i can just lay the hook down or drop the hook and walk away and get another tool you know but but people panic you know, that snake starts coming up the hook, and it's not even being defensive. It's not. Yeah, it's just like, hey, dude. It's just, what are you doing? Hey, oh, your, your hand's anything? there. It smells different. Can tea. I smell it? Mm. Yeah. Just just set the hook down and walk away and go get a tool. You know, um, get a different tool and, and get control of the animal. Just patience and just take your time. You know, it drives a lot of my interns nuts. Like, if they want to pull out a copperhead to do maintenance, I make them scan the area that there's no hazards on the floor, that they know where everything is. Where is the rolling trash can I'm going to put the snake in? Mm -hmm. And where is an extra tool if I drop this tool? And they're like, God, this is so pathetic. And I said, yeah, but when you drop the snake and it starts to go and the hook falls and you need another hook, now you know where it is. Like, just take your time. Mm -hmm. That's all you need to do.
1: God, can you imagine how fast one of those big blacks that Cody has would kill you? (sighs) If one of those just unloaded on you, dude, you'd be laid out so
2: quick. You'd be, you'd be, be, yeah. I mean, we, we have a policy and it's wrong and I'll get lambasted for it. But, um, we actually will push. There's a certain type of anti-venom we provide venoms for. Um, of course we stock all that stuff on hand, but the directions for my staff are to start pushing it before the ambulance is even there. Just, like if big girl if big girl bit me, I could have you know three vials pushed into a vein directly, within minutes, mm-hmm. and I would need that because I probably wouldn't live, you know, past ten. Yeah. So yeah. you know, because I always assume that was
1: the case with big gaboons too. Like you get a big gaboon hitting you, dude. Like,
0: yeah, and their
2: venom yield the is just alone, so. I feel like
1: would probably huge. kill you before the venom would. Just the just the well, absolute I, devastation. There was,
2: There was a Gaboon bite that I helped treat. I think it was 2019. I think it was 2019. Um, And it's well cataloged on the mToxin Instagram. You'd have to go back quite a ways now. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was one of the most devastating bites I've ever seen someone someone get through. And that particular patient is the patient that had been bitten multiple times over the course of a few years and was starting to become allergic to antivenom. Oh um and so you know they start administering it and you go into anaphylaxis and now not only is your hand rotting off um and you know your lymphatic system is going to hell everything is going to hell now you can't breathe Mm -hmm. you know now you're in shock um so you know but the tissue damage that i've seen them do in a short amount of time is unbelievable
1: how big was the one that that you treated how big was that gaboon
2: it was two and a half feet long and it got it got one fang, all the way into the hand um the other fang just grazed it um we were able to save all of his fingers um but he's on i i don't want to exaggerate it but i think he's on multiple reconstructive surgeries and physical therapy for a long time wow
1: I mean, doesn't the doesn't Gaboon venom just absolutely obliterate your kidneys? Is
2: that yeah? I mean, yes. I mean, and it'll hit you in so many different ways. You know, I mean, his blood was basically water. You know, um, yeah, I've I heard mean, that it,
0: like it'll make you bleed from like all of your orifices. Basically,
2: a lot of snakes will, you know, everyone mentions the boom slang. But, you know, Echis bites do that. Mm-hmm. Atheris bites will do that. Yeah, I've read a um, handful of
1: reports that talked about thinning a lot of anticoagulation mm-hmm. going on. And,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I had a I've only had two envenomations and one of which was. A bothrops atrox no. and that that turned my blood to literal water. Jeez. Unbelievable! Jesus. Unbelievable.
1: No, oh, thank you.
0: I mean, I yeah, think that wasn't Crotalis but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That wasn't fun, but <laughs> you can keep the bothrops.
1: Yeah. So, what's what's your Free opinions rate. on the uh, on self immunization? Cause I know you, huh? you won the self the, blah, 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 the self immunization. I know you wanted to, I'm interested to hear your thoughts
2: on that. Cause you wanted to talk about that a little bit. It's one of my favorite topics. <laughs> it's such a fun topic. So <laughs>
0: the enthusiasm. I love it. It is.
2: No. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's important to talk about because it's gaining a lot more popularity mm-hmm. as of late. Like, Especially in like halfway through 2019, there's like a ton of new self-immunizers that have popped up, you know, and this is the only thing like I won't get political, but I'm a staunch libertarian. People can do what they want with their what they do in the privacy of their own home is their business. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if someone wants to shoot heroin into their eyeballs, (laughs) go go right ahead. The thing that I think is difficult is that, you know, there's some popular self immunizers like Tim Freedy and people like that. But Tim has a very excellent understanding of immunology. So there's a little bit more knowledge base than, and and I'm not saying I condone what he's doing. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, Mm -hmm. but he understands venom very well. And, there's a lot of billy bobs right now extracting from gaboons in their garage and then injecting it into their leg and then getting abscesses yeah. and all this kind of stuff so so here's the thing with self immunization does it work yes it absolutely works it's a flu shot it's the same theory we use for immunizing horses to make anti venom um, you know, we're initiating an immune response and we're blah, 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 and IgG antibodies and et cetera. But what people don't think about are the other effects to their body. And, um, so, you know, a person can survive a black mamba bite without serum and that's great. But when you look at their kidneys, you look at their liver, you look at everything else. Wow. It's gone to hell. Yeah, I can't figure out why. Um, a, a toxin is a toxin it doesn't belong in the body and um, shooting yourself up with it um, you're just hurting other things right like to me it should be a way bigger focus like uh, how about just not get bit
3: Yeah,
0: you know a t-
2: take your time <laughs> what a use your tools. instead
0: of focusing on that <laughs> and, let's focus on how to do this properly
2: and so many people say, you know, like look at Bill Haas. look what Bill Haas did, and and it's true, you know, Bill was a huge proponent of self-immunization, and it and he did some pretty incredible things with it. At the same time, when he started immunizing himself in the 40s, I mean, when you look at it, there wasn't even a North American coral snake antivenom at that time. Right. You know, there wasn't, uh, there there weren't antivenoms for a lot of what Bill was working with. And so his theory of a lot of these things and taking these rare venoms and immunizing himself wasn't because he wanted to be Superman. It was because there was no anti-venom anyway.
0: Yeah. I guess, you know, that actually, that makes sense if you're going to be working with those animals, you know, and there's always that chance of being bit. I mean,
2: and we get, we get asked all the time, do you inject yourselves with venom and, um,
1: Turn into Spider Man. Uh,
2: yeah, I, I'm basically. <laughs> I'm like, no, I just drink heavily and smoke too many cigarettes, and that's <laughs> hey. this is kind of how how I function. <laughs> like um,
1: Blazing Saddles. Yeah, this yeah is exactly. This, this, is, yeah, this is my shooting exactly.
3: hand. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, it's um, yeah, it's uh, I, I. So the point is, is that does it work? Yes, it does work, right? You, any scientist that says it doesn't work is a bold-faced liar. Is it ethical? No. Is it, uh, is it good for the rest of your body downstream? No. So why do it? No. Yeah. You know, that's, that's kind of where I'm at.
1: Sounds like a lot of trouble to go through, too. It's way more trouble than I think it's worth. Like, Yeah, I feel well, like I feel I'm like I'm going to dose die. this out and make sure that it's the right dose because otherwise I'll really screw myself up. It sounds it's, like
0: you just die from ruining your body before you would die from an yeah. actual
2: snake I'm curious, bite like, like if
1: you weren't immune. Like effects on the heart, you know, stuff like that. <clears throat> right.
2: Yeah, and I mean, that's the stuff that nobody's looked at, right? Like, um, you know, there's a group looking at Tim Freedy's uh, – antibodies right now Mm -hmm. and and it's very interesting the problem is is that the fda and more than likely the world health organization will never approve a human derived product right so human experimentation has always been frowned upon and illegal um in most regards and it's just you know to me it makes more sense to make a better serum make a better anti-venom Handle your snakes safer, um, educate, 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 you know, villagers and everything like that. I mean, there was a time when the dream was for a lot of the immunizers that, um, you know, these people working in the fields in Africa would go and get their booster shot of that would protect them from a black mamba bite and stuff like that. It it's just not going to happen. We can we can barely get anti venom to these people, much less right. immunization boosters um, on a regular basis to keep their immune response going against snakebite. We can solve it's that just problem not...
1: when they get a bowl under control.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Let's tackle that hurdle first. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. Oh man,
1: what's your favorite of theirs? <laughs>
0: Quick, well, quick draw, I'm... quick draw.
2: Okay, my favorite would probably be Cloracus.
0: Really? Yeah,
2: well, I <laughs> like them. They you have big. so disappointed.
3: <laughs> they have G. big I, derpy
2: faces. They have big derpy faces, and they're just, I don't know, they're just cool. Last, I really like them.
1: Last Columbia show I went to had some really nice ones. Like really thick yellow bands, like those little yellow yeah. dashes. Oh man, that thing is sexy.
2: Yeah. They're beautiful. They actually ride a hook decent. Um and and they're they're usually not as picky. Uh, I know a lot of the squam people will argue with me, but they're not as picky as squams to get to get feeding. They're hardier imports in a lot of, of scenarios. Um and they're they're gorgeous. They're just I don't know. That's always, I mean, there's so many cool atherists, but that's always, that's the one I'm always like, Oh, look at that face. It's so so cute.
1: cute. I know when we were messaging each other earlier, you had mentioned Hispada. do you guys ever have any of those?
2: No. No. Um, and I've only ever seen one once at a, um, at a museum in Africa. I was able to see one in person. Um, and, they fascinate me, but they do so poorly in captivity. Yeah. And I think, excuse me, there's there's a lot of reasons for that. Like there's things I'd like to try um, to really try to keep them, but they mm-hmm. they almost never are imported. Um, if they are, they're like six thousand dollars a piece. And I mean, that's that's a big roll that's, of the dice. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, you know, is it going to make it? You don't know. I mean, there's, so it's just, it's tough. Mm-hmm.
1: And have y'all done a lot with Boiga?
2: We have. Um, we have for a couple of rear fang studies um, that are going on right now. And extracting venom from rear fang snakes is essentially, I like to say, like, Chinese water torture.
3: <laughs> <It's>, I mean, <laughs> it's, is
1: you, like, is it just... Because of the way that they're built, is it just
2: hard to get a decent no, yield out get, of them? It, like, what's the average yield with just, most of the boiga that you have? It's. Uh, if I told you that, I'd have to kill you. Oh. We just. <laughs> um, we, no, it's it's very arduous. Like, it's very time consuming. Um, the methods that we have to use, um, which is pilocarpine, um, injected around the gland area which contracts it and allows the venom to flow more easily. So you're holding a snake that doesn't want to be held. Mm-hmm. You've got another set of hands doing a very calculated injection. You're trying not to hurt it. You have capillary tubes and micropipettes there. And you're just, by the time you're done doing like two Boyga, you basically need to just go to the bar.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just, I, I like, I keep Boyga. I love the genus. I want more of the genus, um, but I don't, trust mine you know like i feel like so many of the rear fake species we keep in the hobby like beak snakes uh april justine was mm-hmm. she just she got bit by one of her beaks recently and she's probably one of like a very small handful of people in the states that have been bitten one can actually document it
2: mm-hmm. well and, and that you know that's the thing these just because they, they need have to be
1: a, taken a little more seriously i think than they they,
2: they need know. to be taken much more seriously and, and i'm not implying like uh you know they should be more regulated or, or anything like that. But, um, it's, it's not a joke and there's a fantastic book, um, that I recommend to anyone that's really interested in rear fang snake envenomations, which is venomous bites from non-venomous snakes.
1: Uh, I think Um, I've I've seen that one and I've wanted to pick it up. I need to, I need to hunt it down. I highly
2: recommend it because the case reports it's an older book. Um, but it is, fascinating i mean the things that have been found in a lot of these venoms i mean you know and and people you know treat a lot of these boyga and and things like that like it's not a big deal or oh it's got a chew on me well i mean if your body's (laughs) it can only take a scratch Mm -hmm. and your arms swelled you know and there's temporary mobility issues and, and stuff like that. It's um, it's not always so cut and dry. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I saw a bite not that long ago. Someone got bit by, a, I mean, it was maybe a yearling-sized cyania. And after seeing that, that definitely had me thinking, like, mm-hmm. I definitely need yeah, I remember to that. not— yeah, it was small and yeah, that that bite for that person could have been different from a bite for me, you know, but still like uh, that was not a big cyania by any means. Mm. And, and they're it, it they're pretty, pretty
0: and they're a pretty hefty species, aren't they? I've seen some big ones. Yeah, it was... it's like I a, mean, a you big it...
1: boiga, I think could do a, like a really just diesel mangrove or cyania could could really oh, do yeah. some some serious damage.
2: I saw one of the most interesting bites um and I should, I'll have to message you the photos. Um, but uh, it was a person bitten very seriously uh, by a garter snake. And I mean, rashes all I think the way. I've,
1: yeah, uh, I think I've seen that one.
2: Yeah, all the way up to the shoulder, um, quite a bit of swelling. Uh, it, it was insane um, what it did to that person, you know? So, and that's a garter snake. Mm-hmm. So. Which kind of falls into Doctor Fry's belief that every snake, you know, going all the way back is venomous. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean, there hasn't been a ton of ton of looking into as far as garters and and that group, right?
2: Right, right.
0: Yeah, I just had a buddy I used to do a lot of herping with back in back in the day. He used to do a lot of work with the Eastern Diamondbacks, and he came and uh, came down and visited me, and he. He told me that he can't get bit by a garter snake without breaking out. Now, hmm. you know he's he's just been hit well, by I mean, him so many times. You got so bit by time. that hog
1: nose, and you were saying, yeah, that, no, know.
0: I, yeah, I got, my, I had a hog nose latch onto one of my fingers, and yeah, I mean, my finger swelled up, the whole thing turned purple. Mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't but go the past fangs my are finger. Are
2: just there to pop toads? Oh yeah, <laughs> That's right. All <laughs>
0: No man, that crap hurt, and I tell you that was one of the more painful bites I've just taken. Like actual physical, yeah, bite, like, like just actual in breaking skin. Yeah, like that would <clears throat> that sucked. I'd take a adult carpet python over that.
3: Every Screw time I that, mess with man. that little male man,
1: I'm like, you're gonna be the one that breaks the and mold it's all, it's and, and like, actually if, bites
0: me. One if day. No, if if he's just an asshole, he won't. But if they're man. crazy about food, yeah, that's when they're gonna hey, get you.
1: He's pretty high strong.
0: I, I dude, I had a male You've that was the him. same way. I've seen. I had my male. He just would like smack you, yeah. just over and over with his face. But my female was nuts about food, and she thought my fingers were food. I'm and just, that's that's why I got bit.
1: Any rear fang stuff, even if it's a hog, I'm still skeptical of you know I'm not gonna I don't let Ellie, yeah. I don't even let Ellie handle them really I'll, I'll, you know I was not gonna take the chance like what's yeah. the, what's the point there's corn snakes she can play with there's yeah. king snakes she can play with whatever
2: yeah I mean there's you know it's I don't but it's gonna be you know it'll be forever difficult to to change people's minds about it um you know everybody's very set in their ways and their in their beliefs but as we learn more about their toxins, I just hope people start to take them a lot more seriously. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think bridging that gap is is requires people just getting more of like the papers and stuff out there or even someone who can break them down into sort of layman's terms that normal peasant folk like us can understand. Yeah. You know, I think you know, like if you post a paper, people are going to see all the technical jargon and be like, I don't understand any of this and they're never going to finish it. But
2: yeah, I you mean, some usually, way of breaking you know, it down even,
1: so it's more digestible would, would help. A lot. I
2: mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty dumb <laughs> and <I'm> gonna, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, a lot of those abstracts in, in, in a lot of the scientific publications are, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, yeah, maybe you don't want to look at and, and get into all the jargon and everything like that. But usually in the abstract, you can get a pretty good idea of,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, what their conclusion was and, you know, what's been found. Um, and again, I think it just plays into, into a, an attitude of laziness nowadays, you know,
1: everyone wants to be spoon fed.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. But- Absolutely
1: like nipper did that article on the malagasy the langaha mm-hmm. the malagasy leaf leaf mm-hmm. nose snakes and as i was looking for pictures and stuff for that article uh i came across there was a uh, someone who was researching some stuff in madagascar you know they were taking a survey or whatever they they got bit by one of those and it's probably the only recorded bite on like that we know of and it was from like 2005 and the bite from that was actually pretty interesting because it was surprisingly uh there was a lot of pain. There was a good bit of swelling, and I mean, over the course of like 24 hours, maybe even or 48 hours, actually, I think he, maybe even a little longer. You know, he had pain and mm-hmm. tenderness, and you know, that's a species that no one gets bit by. No one keeps them, but you know, we we they are in the hobby, but no one really knows anything about them.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And that's a, just that's just a bizarre species to to get bit by because they're they're known to be very calm, and for sure, that's another funny thing is you know there's the that kid in Spain that got killed by that mangshan recently, and everyone talks about how calm mangshans are, and it's like, yeah, but when they're not, they're not. Yeah. Well, that's that's yeah. It, yeah. I've been you. blocked.
2: I've been blocked from. I don't. Back when I had Facebook, I don't. I don't know. I've probably been blocked by three hundred private venomous keepers who, <laughs> who are. But you know, look at my green mamba. I can. I can put it in my hands, and it's. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you have a a mellow mamba With right now. Wish.
0: Yeah. Right now. Yeah.
2: Now. I, I mean, wait until it hits puberty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wait until exactly. It's and drop. that's, that's the whole, that's the whole free handling thing is it's, it's like, um, you know, I, I, I don't understand. I, and maybe, maybe, you know, it's, uh, you know, stupid of me to say, because I have to put my hand on those animals every, every day. But, but why do you need to touch it? Yeah.
1: And I hear that argument a lot. They're like, well, what about the venom extractor guys? It's like, that's a little different because they're doing it for something. They're not doing they're it for the photo op. They're not good, doing it for the YouTube video. Purpose. Like, it's their job. They're it's saving it. people. I mean, if, <laughs> don't even really consider you, that free handling because it's like no, you're doing it in a manner
0: you're that you're supposed and to. And they're restrained. The... Yes. Like, that's
2: they're not free. Like that's. Uh, I, I mean, you know, it's the one thing, you know, there's a lot of people internationally that freehandle and they say, well, you know, if um, it, you know, it doesn't lead to, to legislation because, you know, I'm in whatever country or, or whatever, but it's still broadcast on social media and it's still seen by yeah. everybody. My my here's my big thing. Right. Again, I don't I would never recommend someone freehandle a, a deadly animal. Right. But I will say this, if you really care about the animal, and you want to have some quote unquote bond that you believe you have with it, and you want to free handle it, why does it have to be on social media? Get a dog or Well, but do it it in private. What is it, why do we, why do you need to share it? If it's not about your ego, then why, why is it online?
1: Because they have to show that they have a special connection.
2: Yeah, right. The yeah. Snakes
1: understand them. They can speak I mean, in partial yeah. tongue.
2: I can I can read their movements. They're a I partial mouse. Just... <laughs>
3: like I have King, I have
2: it's it's like my King Cobras. Um, you know, I have two large males um that are on the venom line that that guests get to see um fairly frequent. Do I think those that I could pick those snakes up without a tool and uh and manipulate them, move them around, do photo ops, you know. Um, yeah, I, I think I could absolutely get away with it for a time. Um, but, um, but I don't want the six-figure medical bill. Yeah. Even stocking my own serum, um, it can still be a six-figure medical bill. And it's just not worth it to me. It, it's just, I, I don't get it. You know, it's like, if if you're going to freehandle because you're so connected to your snake and you're going to do all that crap, then just do it in private. No, who cares? If it's not about your ego, no one needs to see it.
1: Nothing it's makes 17-year-old well girls go crazy like freehandling a Gaboon Viper on the grams.
2: Oh, God. It's Man. awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. Oh,
1: it's just so dumb. And it's amazing how many people are like, oh, they're free. They know what they're doing, whatever. Then you got the guys that are like legitimate venomous guys that are like,
2: don't
1: yeah. talk to me. I don't know you. Yeah. You don't know
0: me. I really pucker when people free handle vipers of any kind. That's the one that
2: blows yeah. it, it, me away. Rattlers, it, it's,
0: like horridists yeah, and stuff like that. I'm like, like what man, I've seen are people just doing? like holding cotton mouths in their hand, rattlesnakes. I've seen people holding, you know, it's just like, I guess you know the the cobra is it's like i see it so much now it's just kind of like yeah oh, whatever you know, you know for, you're another free handling fuck who has a cobra in his hand but when somebody has you know some species of viper just like holding it like it's a fucking mm-hmm. hot dog
2: yeah, well, that was, like, that was, dude. What are you? That doing? was one of my favorite. One of my, oh God, it's terrible to say, but one of my favorite envenomations I helped with, <laughs> um, in the in the private sector was a person who had a a large eyelash viper. I mean, grotesquely large eyelash viper, and was making spaghetti, and had it around his neck, oh. and it bit into his neck. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, why? Why do you need the eyelash viper around your neck? What, why? <laughs> what? What is that doing for you?
1: I remember on uh, the old Southeastern Hot Herb Society website, they used to have viper mm-hmm. stuff. There was that kid who was holding that South Pacific rattler, and it like, there's, they took the picture at, like the exact moment that he got bit on the face by it because oh, he was holding. Oh
0: no!
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every
1: time I see that picture, I'm like, you jackass.
2: So there's there's one of the, the I that website there's that was a good website. There's one of the quote unquote famous YouTubers um, who's a friend of mine. And um, and every time um, he posts a video with free handling in it, I send him a picture of his children. Oh, Oh my my God. (laughs) God. (laughs) Now, that might sound. No, that might sound. (laughs) No, no, like that. Well, let me let me explain something. So So we we talk about um, about Jack Fasene. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my whole relationship with him when I was starting out and I was really looking to him for advice. um, You know, he was the one that was like, are you ready for your wife to stand over You while you're intubated and unconscious in the ICU. And are you ready for your, for your kids to potentially, you know, uh, not have you come home from the lab one day? Um, you you know, that was something, you know, that's something that, that he drove into me from the get go. Um, that's like, you know, you're going to have the bad bite eventually. And, you know, do you want to put your family through that? Um, and that was the kind of mentoring advice that, that I got from him. You know, of course it was a lot of, of, um, a lot of husbandry and a lot of methods that he learned from Mr. Host on, on how to extract and things Mm -hmm. he improved upon. Um, but I would say an equally large factor was, are, is, is your family ready? Are you ready to put your family through that? And, um, And so that's always stuck with me through my entire time is, you know, you want to go handle your Eastern diamond back free handle it in your backyard for YouTube views. What's going to happen when you're in ICU and you may never see your kid again. I mean, it's,
3: yeah,
2: it's serious. And, and, You know, these, those guys, they don't think about that stuff.
1: None of the likes and comments are going to
0: matter when you're, yeah. When you're, when
2: you're on the kid, when your
0: kid, yeah. When your kid grows up without, well, that was,
2: that was interestingly enough. You know, that was one of the reasons that I left social media was when I realized that it was becoming less about the mission of my Mm -hmm. business and more about my ego. And I, and I said, You know, it's all about me, 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 and it's not about the animals anymore. And I just got disgusted with myself and I left it. And even to this day, like, you know, rarely will I post a thing with my face in it. It's people aren't there to see me interact with the an they're there to see the animals. Mm -hmm. That that's what people wanna see. But I think for for a lot of us, you know, it's it's easy to get drawn into our own egos and um make it all about us but you know the reason we all got into this was not to feed our own ego and be narcissistic it was because we love animals so you know that was a a big driving factor of what got me away from it
1: yeah well we are at a little over two hours um where can people see what you're doing (laughs)
2: <laughs> so um, we do have a, uh, a Facebook, M um, Toxins Venom Lab Facebook, where you can see um, daily posts of us at the zoo and venom extraction and, and stuff like that. And then we have the Instagram, which is at M Toxins Venom Lab, um, where you can see a lot of the same content. Um, and then our website, which is primarily for venom clients, but that's just mtoxins.com. And talks about um, the Jack Fasene Serpentarium and everything like that. Awesome. Hours and rates and yeah. where to stay if you're coming to visit, like uh, accommodations and everything like that.
1: We might have to make a trip up that way at some point. Bruce. I'm always go down to go Wisconsin,
0: man. Are you kidding me? i will so I'll, down. Teach,
2: I'll, teach, I'll teach you how to drink beer. Yeah, it'll be. Uh, a... I no, I, <laughs> I've seen not Jake from you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I am not a good example. I'm of, not of a beer. Well, I guess I'm more of a liquor man. I guess I can drink more beer than you, but <clears throat> yeah, I'm just I'm not a big beer guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a liquor
2: guy. Well, I appreciate I appreciate talking to you guys. Yeah, yeah it was man, Dude, we we great. really
0: appreciate you coming on and uh, showing the show the support that you have.
2: Big fans. All right, yeah. So.
1: We will talk to you later, man.
2: All right. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, Thank man. you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. Bye. Another really good one. Badass. Another one of my favorites. Sometimes I feel we got a. Okay, we have a hundredth episode oh, coming up soon, right? Oh lord! So we have to figure out what we're going to do for that.
0: Get me a new chair that I. I don't you know sink I was in.
1: eyeballing some at Walmart. I was like, I want a new chair. I know you want a new chair.
0: You get yourself a new chair. That way, I the own, just, like, get the old one. You don't buy hand-me-downs. Yeah.
1: New mic. You get the old one. New chair. You get the old exactly. one.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Anytime you upgrade, I upgrade.
1: I'm going to make that happen.
0: It's going to happen, buddy. Sweet. 100th episode. I don't I'll even know what I'm going to do up. with that one. But
1: yeah, we got to figure out what we're going to do for the 100th episode, dude, because it's coming up mm. in 15 weeks. <laughs> 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 we have plenty of time to think about. It, yeah. But I'm thinking it's like quite a few weeks. our favorite episodes. Um I don't know. Something. We'll discuss that. We'll figure it out. Yeah, but it is happening soon. Yeah, and this episode was also brought to you by MP cages and exotics,
0: Steve's sanctuary
1: and Steve's sanctuary venom hot sauces. Sean's cages and racks are awesome. Phil got his today. Yes, he got. Oh, he it's got, so dude, nice. Dude, that thing looks. That thing awesome. is so look, like, on point. Man. I understand the lock mechanism yeah. on it now because he's yeah. getting it made for venomous, and so Sean I like how, made how you, this could, thing.
0: you put you just push it right. down you don't and have then to have
1: the key in it. It just, just yeah. Oh, man. Very Sean, cool. he's
0: uh, Sean's, Sean I'm is amazed. a god.
3: Yeah. He's a god. Yeah.
0: He's amazing.
1: And uh, Steve, obviously, Steve's doing awesome work. Nicest guy in the world, people. Too. His hot sauces are awesome. Support him. Support the Snaketuary. By buying his hot sauces, you are supporting him and his uh, educational collection.
0: All the good stuff he does.
1: And, you know, he's a good guy. Yeah. He's an
0: EMT. He's a firefighter. All that good stuff. We did an episode with each of our sponsors not too long ago. We did one with Sean twice. Yes. Um, so, and we've had, we had Steve on. Not that long ago. Not that long ago. Two months ago. ago? Yeah, before we had Sean on the second time. Yeah. So, but,
1: go back and check those out. Yeah. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Herpeticulture Podcast, herpeticulturepodcast.com. Follow me at Palmetto
0: Coast Exotics on all platforms. Follow me at J.O.B. Morelia on all platforms. Their pediculture podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Spotify.
1: Correct. Yes. But actually, I've come to find. It's actually on iHeartRadio and everything now, too. Oh, like, f- I really? don't know how this happens, but if you Google the podcast, it's on, like, a bunch of different websites now. Really? I don't know if it's, like, some little foreign dude, like, hijacking our stuff and uploading it as a... Like, I don't know. Hmm. But it's on there. It's easy to find. Whatever. Yeah,
0: so
1: we will see y'all next. Thank you week.
0: for tuning in. This
1: was a really good episode. Yeah, I really liked it, it. I have a feeling Nippers going to be very yeah. excited about this one. I always feel
0: kind of awkward at episodes like this because, like, I'm not a big venomous guy, so like, I- I'm really not as educated in this, you know, spectrum of the hobby. So I always feel so quiet in uh, in, in these episodes. But I mostly Dude, just I listen day, and, and learn. Like,
1: Snakes and Stogies has actually become mostly Venomous talk Yeah, I can imagine.
0: Between you and Phil. Well, we yeah. had
1: Brent and we had Chris uh, Woodcock yeah. on recently with us, yeah. um, which that actually ended up, it was supposed to just be me, Phil, and Brent, and then Chris was watching on YouTube. He's like, how can I get in on this? I sent him the link. I was like, dude, come on in. Come on, right was now. like, open the door. I was like, come oh, on, you come can. with me if you want to live. <laughs> you know? And it's we gone. we were talking about venomous stuff, man. It was like one of my favorite episodes that we've done, of Snakes and Stogies. It was like three hours long. It's great, Jesus. dude. Those those videos are long, but they're fun. Yeah, because like it, what it is is like me and Phil will decide when we're gonna do it. It's usually like that morning. We're like, mm-hmm. hey, you want to smoke tonight? Yeah. And then it's like, who do you want to get on? I don't know. And so I'll just go and like put out a message hey, on Facebook. Hey, who hey. wants Who wants <laughs> to join? And like, I'll have like James Lewis will be like me. Chris Payne Shab will be like me. You know, all yeah. these other people. I'm like, here's the link. Come on in. You know, Come it's on. just like we. It's just completely it's off the cuff just yeah. yeah it's so casual it's fun it's on my youtube channel it's chill um i want to upload previous episodes like as audio only onto our soundcloud on here and i might do it i don't know i don't want to mess up our stats yeah not that they really matter it's just kind of fun to watch but i don't know there's a lot of really good info on those usually. Yeah, so for sure i kind of want to upload it just so it's there i've had some people ask me
0: if i could put it as audio only so But, anyways, let's end this. Yep, we'll catch you all next week. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye.